what to look for in craft whiskey when you're buying it, store picks versus barrel picks, and a good cocktail for the summertime. What's up, guys? My name is Chris, and for those of you who are new here, you are listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast. And today we have another Q&A episode where I answer questions from listeners just like you. Today we have quite a few questions to get through, so I'm really excited to get to them. But for those of you who don't know, you can submit a question through my question sticker every Wednesday on Instagram. That's at whiskey underscore noobs. I will post a question sticker on my story every Wednesday, and you can submit a question through that sticker. If you'd like to jump to the front of the line and have your question answered before other questions, then you can submit it through my Patreon. If you become a patron, you can submit a question once again once a week on Wednesdays. I will have a post that you can submit your question through, or if you don't want to do it through that post, when you see the post, you can just DM it to me. And if you want to join the Patreon, that is at patreon.com slash whiskey noobs or click the link in the show notes. Now, as I mentioned, we've got a lot of awesome questions to get to today, so I don't want to postpone much longer, but we do have to do our mystery whiskey review for this episode. So I will be doing a very quick review of a whiskey without telling you what it is, and you can try to guess what it is. This is a whiskey that has been on the show in the past couple handfuls of review episodes. On the nose, I'm getting a very grassy, orchard fruity type note. On the palate, I've got a little bit more of that that herbal, slightly grassy note, a little bit more fruitiness, and then also some slightly pale notes, maybe a touch of bitterness and a touch of honey. That's all that I will say for now, but we will revisit that tasting later on in the episode, and then I will tell you what it is at the end. Also, just a side note here, today I'm not doing this tasting from a Glencairn. I'm actually doing it from a James Bentley glass. Uh, They reached out to me and asked if I would like to do an affiliation with them, so they sent me some glasses to check out. So far, I'm enjoying it. I haven't decided on the affiliation yet because I want to make sure if I'm going to be affiliated with somebody, it is absolutely a product that I like and that I want to be associated with. But assuming I do decide to do the affiliation, you guys will be seeing that on Instagram, I'm sure, and on TikTok. But uh, so far, I'm really liking the glass, to be entirely honest. They're very cool. They're they're shaped similarly to a Norlin glass, if you know what a Norlin glass looks like. Uh, and so far, I'm liking it. I like the way it feels in my hand. It's very um, very nice to hold compared to a Glencairn. I love my Glencairns. But uh, that's just a little bonus info for you guys because so far, I'm a little bit geeked about this glass. I like it. I'll have to decide on the quality and if I want to do an affiliation. Obviously, you can't tell the quality right away. So I'm going to be doing a little bit more in-depth looking at this glass. But at any rate, let's get to the questions. Our first three questions slash comments come to us from Whiskey Noobs patrons. So our first question we have is, I am new to whiskey, and I've been drinking it for six months now, and I still can't taste the notes. When new to whiskey, which method helps to enjoy whiskey and get past the burn? Flavored whiskeys? dilute with Sprite or tough it out with straight whiskey? This is a great question. It's also a very loaded question, so I wanted to take some time to really tear it apart. First of all, everything you mentioned could be a good method to get past the burn. Depending on your relationship with stronger spirits, the, the amount of time that's going to take is going to be different for everybody. So if you never really drank spirits, you're like a beer guy, you don't even really drink strong beers, that's one 
extreme end of the spectrum. And then there is people who were already into spirits. Maybe you like took shots during your party phase or whatever, but you're used to that burn feeling. That end of the spectrum usually has an easier time getting used to the burn. But I do have quite a few different tips for getting used to the burn. So I would recommend you check out on TikTok my playlist Noob Tips. That playlist would be really helpful to you. I have a lot of these tips in there that I'm about to talk about. But to summarize shortly, uh, a couple of things you mentioned can be good. A lot of people like to ask me if they can drink flavored whiskeys to get used to the burn. And my answer is always yes, you can. I, I can't guarantee you if that's going to work or not. But you should never be ashamed to drink a flavored whiskey. So maybe it will work. It will be getting you more accustomed to those spirits like I mentioned. Some people who aren't into whiskey yet have become accustomed to spirits. That's one way to get accustomed. A lot of flavored whiskeys are going to be lower proof than non-flavored whiskeys. You won't see, at least I haven't seen, a lot of high proof flavored whiskeys because they put that flavoring in there and it brings the proof down it makes it easier to drink so that it's more appealing to a wider audience it's not really appealing to those who want you know the cask strength stuff but that's not to say it's not good there are still some flavored whiskeys out there that i really enjoy so if you think it's going to help you or if you want to try it it absolutely might it might get you used to that burn a little bit now the next tip you bring up diluting with sprite i love i love diluting and cutting back the dilution less and less and less in order to get used to that flavor of the whiskey um Especially you mentioned Sprite. That's a really good one because it doesn't cover up the flavor too much. Your Sprite, your 7-Up, even ginger ale is pretty good. Coke, I mean, I like a Jack and Coke if I'm out just hanging out, but it's not going to be as good for introducing you to those whiskey flavors. It's still good, don't get me wrong, and, and I drink them when I'm at like a bar, but I, it's not going to be quite as good for getting you accustomed to those whiskey flavors. So diluting with Sprite can be a very good one. That's actually episode two of this podcast. I walk through with my guest, Justin, who at the time, I don't think really drank whiskey at all, if I remember correctly. And um, we walk through and dilute less and less and less in that episode. You can also do that over the course of weeks or months. You can you know, start off with half and half or three quarters Pepsi, one quarter whiskey, and you just slowly cut back the amount of, did I say Pepsi? You slowly cut back the amount of mixer, whatever that mixer is, so that you can continually get more flavor from the whiskey. And you can do that at whatever pace you need to. And then the last method that you mentioned, um, just toughing it out with straight whiskey, that was my method. I'm not saying I recommend it. I think a lot of the tips, especially like in that noob tips playlist that I mentioned on TikTok, uh, a lot of my tips make it easier than doing that, but that is what I did. It was the brute force method. I distinctly remember having some glasses of whiskey and almost gagging a little bit because I was like, I don't get it. But to me, sometimes it's so hard for me to accept that like I don't get something. Uh, I'm, I'm stubborn that way. I've done that with like hard boiled eggs because I hate hard boiled eggs and I'll still try them and then hate them and then be like, I want to understand why people like these so much. I'm stubborn. So if you're stubborn too, that might work for you. But there, there's plenty of other tips. There's that mixing. There are old fashions. That's another another nice way to sort of flavor the whiskey, make it a little bit sweeter by making something like an old fashioned or a Manhattan and then slowly getting stronger with those as well. Uh, there's even taking a sip of water, keeping some of the water in your mouth, swallowing most of it, keeping some of it in your mouth, and then taking a sip of the whiskey. That can cut back a little bit on the amount of burn that you're getting, but still allow you to taste some of the flavors. So all of those 
and more are great ways to really get used to whiskey and to get past the burn. And then once you're past the burn, I have a whole slew of tips as well for tasting notes. So the, the goal is to get past the burn and enjoy the taste of whiskey and then to go from, okay, whiskey tastes like whiskey to whiskey tastes like other things and then get more specific with those other things. And that is kind of how I recommend getting into it. So hopefully you found that helpful, but the diluting with Sprite, that's a great tip. Like I said, I had a whole episode dedicated to it. Um, also trying different whiskeys side by side, that can really uh, break that glass for some people that... They think all whiskey tastes the same. If you try like an Irish next to a bourbon, you're going to notice that they taste super different. That can be another good one as well. And then the next question slash comment that somebody put, and I think this was a comment to respond to the question, and I I think it's worth talking about, is I've heard you should take one-tenth of a mouthful and swish it like mouthwash before tasting. Now, I think this person was saying that it helps with the burn, and they would be right about that. So I wanted to talk about that for a second, because taking a little bit of a mouthful and swishing it around you're basically taking as much burn as you can in that first sip in order to not get as much burn as you can in the second sip. Now, I've never exclusively recommended this. I don't do this. But what I do recommend is you take, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, a quote-unquote sacrificial sip. And that sacrificial sip is to get all the burn done, get your palate to understand that you've got something a little bit more harsh, a little bit more difficult to drink that's about to be on your palate. And if you get that, if you get used to it, then that can help with your next sip. And I think that that brings up an important point because a lot of people don't realize that even experienced whiskey drinkers a lot of the times do a sacrificial sip. I'll do a first sip that burns and I know it's going to burn and I know I'm not going to get a lot of flavor because if you haven't drank whiskey all day or you haven't had anything that extreme, the whiskey's going to seem a little bit aggressive. It's kind of like if you go a long time without eating any spicy food, then just a little bit of hot sauce seems spicy to you. It's that same kind of thing. The swishing around your mouth, absolutely. Um, I Like I said, I don't recommend it in that specific way. I think you could totally do that. I should say I haven't recommended that specific method, um, but I would. I think that could work. And then what I usually do is I just take a sip, and then I coat my whole mouth with it. I move my tongue around, kind of do the Kentucky chew, get my mouth really coated with it, and then swallow it, obviously. And then the next sip tends to taste a little bit better. So that can be a really good tip too. If you're really struggling with that burn, maybe you're only making it one sip into the glass. You need to try that second, sometimes that third, maybe that fourth sip if you're new to it. And your palate is going to slowly start to say, oh, okay, I think I'm a little bit more used to this now. It's like you're getting calluses on your palate, but it's not making it harder to taste. It's actually making it easier to taste because you're getting used to the burn. So I recommend that as well. But let's move on to the next question. We've got, how do you get a specific allocated bottle? Many stores near me seem like they don't know what they will get. So I wanted to take a minute to talk about my methods, I guess, which are not the greatest. I'm still newer to hunting compared to other people. Um, And then also allocated bottles in general. So... If you've been around for a while, you've probably heard me say it a bunch of times, but don't be too worried about allocated bottles. There are so many very, and when people say allocated, a lot of times they mean like rare allocated because something can be allocated and not be rare and you can still be able to find it pretty easily. Allocated just means that the liquor store doesn't know for sure that they're going to be able to get it. It might be difficult for the store to get, but a lot of times it might not. But if you mean a rare allocated bottle, 
don't get too caught up on that. There are a lot of really good bottles that just sit on shelves and you can walk up and get. And I try my best to talk about a lot of those bottles. So I'll start there. But I will talk about what I do in terms of bourbon hunting or rare bottle hunting in general. The first things first, establish expectations. I go into the hunt where I I go into it with the attitude that I'm just here for the thrill of the hunt. Okay, I'm not here to score the best bottles because I think that I'm going to or that I think I if I work hard enough, I'm going to be able to. So much of it is luck of the draw. I just treat it like I treat gambling. It's literally like a gamble, except you don't spend your money unless you want to is the way that I treat bourbon hunting. And that's what makes it a lot of fun because it's gambling. But if you lose, you don't lose any money. You just don't get the bottle that you wanted. So that is the attitude I highly recommend you go into it with. Then there is how you even go about it. Well, first of all, calling stores is a really good idea, especially in my area. And it gets a little hairy because different states are so different. There are some states that you can walk into a store and find Pappy Van Winkle, but that Pappy Van Winkle is going to cost $6,000. Ohio is the opposite of that. You're going to walk into a store and you're not going to see almost anything that's rare. But if you do find it, it's going to be at state pricing, which is typically very inexpensive compared to the secondary market. So those are the two extremes that you can see. And depending on your state, you're going to get different options. Some states, whether it is frowned upon or gray or not, you might be able to make friends with a store owner and buy all of your liquor through them anytime you need liquor and maybe even some liquor you don't fully need. And if you are moving that amount of product for them, then they are going to be able to help you get allocated things or rare things. Or the flip side of that coin is some states like Ohio, there is talk of managers doing the gray area thing and reserving things for their friends. And that definitely happens, no doubt. I hope Ohio gets better at cracking down on it because honestly, it's kind of dumb that they're not able to crack down on it. They haven't been able to crack down on it. But most of the time, the people who run the stores, especially if it's like a Giant Eagle or a Kroger or something like that, a lot of the times it's just people who don't care too much about whiskey or bourbon, at least in my experience. And so it's just luck of the draw. You got to call. You got to figure out if they know what they're going to get. If they don't know what they're going to get, a lot of times, this is what I've done in the past, you just go the day that they get their shipment. They probably know what day their liquor truck comes in. So if you just go on that day, Maybe you get something, maybe you don't. And then lastly, I would say be involved in your bourbon community, especially your local bourbon community. You might meet folks who have a better idea of what's coming than you do. Maybe they have connections. Maybe they've just been at it for a really long time. And that can be helpful as well. So get involved in your local bourbon community. Uh, Maybe join some groups. I mean, getting involved on social media, things like that. Uh, can really help you uh, to find exactly what it is that you're looking for. But just a lot of times you don't even want to go into it like I'm hunting for this specific bottle because you just get heartbroken that way. I've made that mistake plenty of times. But getting involved, learning a little bit of the rules near you, the rules in your area can help. And then, of course, talking with your liquor store owners and managers can be very helpful as well. This next question, I think, could be a really fun one to talk about in the era of whiskey that we're in. So this person asks, what do you look for from smaller craft whiskey when buying? And I take that to mean like before you buy, what is it that you're looking for? Because once you've bought, 
a bottle. I think what you look for is whether or not you like the bottle. So I'm guessing this person means what are you looking for before you buy? And that is a tough one. And here's why it's a tough one. What I like to look for is that the craft distiller appears to be fairly honest with me. It appears that they, if they're sourced, they're telling me they're sourced. If they're local, they're telling me they're local. If I can look them up and find out that they just started in 2021, their website is not telling me that it is a distillery from 1880. Those sorts of things really influence me. I don't like distillers who try to dupe me and try to make it seem like they are not what they actually are. Those sorts of things always turn me away. And a lot of times you can get, you know, a distiller that's that way and they're basically just pushing some very basic sourced juice that doesn't it just tastes like everything else that's sourced. Now there are some and I don't want to I don't want to push the wrong opinion of sourced whiskey cuz there are some who do an excellent job with their sourcing. I've talked about Barrel at length. I've talked about um, Penelope before. There are some who do a great job with their sourcing. I'm probably forgetting some, so I apologize, but there are others. And then there are some who don't, and they rely on the story to try to sell it. This is more of a investment transaction for them than it is an art form. And they just try to sell the story. Sometimes they just try to sell the bottle. Maybe they just have a kind of a cool-looking bottle. That happens on occasion as well, but sometimes it, it, it is in reverse. I did a review not too long ago of Hand Barrel. You guys might remember if you saw it on like TikTok or Instagram. And they, I was worried about the bottle because I was worried it was going to be gimmicky. But their stuff was pretty good. At the very least, it was not just run-of-the-mill juice, which is what I liked. It had a very unique, super butterscotchy taste to it. So it, it can go both ways. And in that same note, you can have somebody who's duping you, who this is just an investment, who doesn't really care too much about the whiskey, but they tell this really cool story and try to trick you, or maybe they try to trick you into not realizing that it's sourced, and that whiskey still be super good. <laughs> that happens sometimes as well. And so it's it's not just any one red flag you should look for. But in general, I like honesty. Even if their whiskey's good, a lot of the times I still like honesty. Because I'm like, don't lie to me and don't try to lie to me. Like, don't try to lie by omission. Like saying, well, this was my great-grandpa's recipe. And it's like, oh, it was your great-grandpa's recipe that MGP has been producing for 15 years and you just bought juice from them or something like that. I don't like that sort of, you know dishonesty because I think overall it's wrong for the industry. It's bad for the industry. It makes people not want to trust sourced whiskey brands. And as I've mentioned at length, there are a lot of great sourced whiskey brands. So those are the kind of red flags that I look for. There can also be other red flags. There was a video going around a while ago of guys siphoning whiskey from a barrel using their mouth, like a mouth siphon, and that was disgusting. And there are other things, but it, that some of that stuff's so hard to see without going and touring the distillery. Uh, if they do tours, that can also give you a really good gut feeling. You know, are they proud of what they're doing? Are they showing you stills? Are they being honest with you throughout the tour? Those sorts of things can be good as well. And then last but most certainly not least is just looking up reviews of it. Maybe they're lying, maybe they're not, but maybe the reviews can tell you whether you should buy it or not, whether it's going to be something that you like or not. Because at the end of the day, you're buying a whiskey that you're going to enjoy no matter how the marketing is handled. 
I'm a sucker for good marketing. I like a lot of detail about where my whiskey came from, how you put it together, and what I'm supposed to, what you think I'm supposed to be tasting, because I like to compare to that. And I also just like to know what's in the bottle. Some just really don't tell you a lot about what's in the bottle. So for me, the more information, the better, the more honesty, the better. But that's not to say that it won't just be great juice without that, because that happens sometimes too. Hopefully that helps. I know that's a very complex answer, but it's a super gray area. Uh, so there's not any one like, well, they always, if they're this, then they're bad. And if they're this, then they're good. I've, there's no answer for that. Uh, the best I can say is to look on their website, maybe go do a tour, especially if it's a small local place. And then give them a try. Uh, and you can try them through some services that will send you samples as well one of which is going to be on the show next week. So keep an eye out for that episode. But uh, that that's another option as well, is trying samples or trying uh, the, you know airplane bottles you can get at the liquor store, something like that. Now, last long-form question that we've got that won't be quite as long as the others, but I did want to talk about it because I haven't done a full review of this yet, is Smoke Wagon. Is it worth it? And I haven't done a full-length review of Smoke Wagon yet, so I did want to talk about it. I enjoyed Smoke Wagon. So I got their uncut and unfiltered, I believe, online because it's not available in Ohio, but they were running a deal, and it was free shipping, and I was like, hey, let's try it. And I enjoyed it. I, I'm i torn about the price as to whether the – and this is specifically the uncut and unfiltered, which is a, a more expensive bottle from them – I'm torn about whether I like it enough for the price or not, but I honestly haven't formed enough of an opinion to tell you yet. So I'm not saying it's not worth the price. I'm not saying it is. I, If you've seen my reviews before, I like to drink a few glasses out of a bottle before I give a review. Sometimes I'll do gut reactions, and that is usually for specific reasons, um, but also sometimes I won't have a lot drank out of the bottle, and that usually means that I either right away liked it or right away didn't like it. And sometimes it's it's split, and that's not to say it's a bad whiskey. Being worth the exact price that you're charging is still a good thing. That means I would pay the amount that you want me to pay. Both of us are happy. But when it's right on that line is when I have to think about it a little bit more. And honestly, I just haven't sat down with it long enough to do that. I've had a couple glasses sort of in passing, but not focused on reviewing it. Here's what I will say. It definitely had a ton of flavor. It definitely had some nice spiciness to it, and it definitely, I liked the amount of flavor that I got. It just had burn with it. It had some tannin, it had some alcohol burn, and sometimes that's okay if you want something like a flavor bomb. And so I have to, that's where I'm at right now, is deciding if it's enough of a flavor bomb to justify the amount of burn, or if it just burns too much for that price. So it's right on the edge. I'm definitely not trashing them. I know a lot of people like Smoke Wagon, and I like the whiskey. It's objectively a very good, I guess objectively, but it, it's a very good whiskey from what I've had, and if you like that type of whiskey, you will like it. I just haven't determined if I like it enough for the price yet. So I will have to do more tasting and let you guys know, and then you'll probably be seeing a review of it on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, etc. And usually, I've been trying to sometimes uh, do extended cuts of the reviews on Patreon. So if you want to see the extended cuts, uh, sometimes those are posted to Patreon if I do an extended cut. But that's part of the extended content that I offer on Patreon. Just an FYI. But let's get to the lightning round, which we can't do until we taste this mystery whiskey one more time. So I'm going to do that, and then we're going to move to lightning round questions. 
So this glass is definitely a little bit grainy and it almost has what I would regard as like a sour candy or a sour fruit and it is pale bitter, definitely a pale bitter. And I feel like this might already be super obvious, um, but maybe not. Maybe there's a couple that could trip you up. So that's all I'm going to say about this glass. Let's get to the lightning round. So the lightning round is questions that I group together that I think I can answer relatively quickly just because we don't have enough time to answer all of them in long form anymore. Number one, my friend peeled off the store pick sticker. What are your thoughts? I think your friend can do whatever they want to do since they paid for the bottle. If you mean, do I think that's like disrespectful or something? Um, I don't think so. I think it might ruin the point of buying a store pick. Like I personally would keep it on because I would want to know what that bottle was in case I had a bottle that wasn't the store pick. But if it's your bottle, you do whatever you want with it. Next question. Is it better to keep my bottle of green spot in the tube it came in or just sit the bottle on the shelf? You can do either. I take mine out of the tubes, but that's just a personal preference thing. The next question you've met. I should add to that one, actually. Don't expose your bottles to too much sunlight, though. So, like, if you don't have anywhere that you can store it that's not in sunlight, I still don't know if the tube's really going to help you or not, but maybe. So, that's just another thought. But don't store your bottles in, in sunlight. The next question. You've mentioned the rules of multiple types of whiskeys, but who enforces those rules? Typically, the country and or state that the rule applies to. So bourbon is defined in United States law. Um, so most countries will have laws surrounding the name of the whiskey. And it's one of those things that I'm not sure about. Like, could you make, does the United States honor the laws for scotch and vice versa? I actually would have to look that up. I just thought of that on the fly. So I'm not, I'm not sure about that. But I know for sure the laws are, the rules come from laws. That's where it all comes from. It's no different than, you know, the government defining what is cannabis. They look at it the same way. You're defining what is bourbon so that you know what control, what tax applies to it. So usually it's it's governed by laws. That doesn't always apply. I should, I should add, all these have caveats. I got to be faster in this lightning round. I promise I'm going to after this one. But uh, that doesn't always apply. So like small batch has no legal backing. But if it does, if it's a firm and hard rule like bourbon or scotch or Irish whiskey or single pot still, single malt, those sorts of things, usually it, it is enforced by a law. Okay, let's move on. Two questions in one. One person asked, what's your favorite weeded non-Weller bourbon? The other person asked, what's your favorite weeded bourbon under $50? I'm going to use the same bourbon for both those answers, and that is Larceny because Larceny is relatively inexpensive. I think there's another weeded bourbon that I like more than Larceny that's not coming to mind right now, but I like Larceny, and I think it's really good for how cheap it is. It won Budget Bourbon March Madness in 2022. So Larceny is my answer to that. Let's move on to the next one. Am I from Ohio? Yes, I am from Ohio. Next question. What's your current favorite Jack Daniels whiskey? My current favorite and probably my forever favorite is the Jack Daniels Gold number 27 because it was my wedding day whiskey that my dad and I drank on my wedding day. And so I can't not say that one. It's going to take me back to my wedding every time I have a glass. So got to be Jack Daniels. Got to say that because maybe the wife's listening. She doesn't listen, so don't worry about it. But <laughs> that is my favorite one. The next question, the best whiskey accessory I can get for my snob brother. Well, don't be a snob. That would be a good one. Maybe a shirt that says that. Um, if he's truly a snob or maybe he just likes whiskey like I do and you're calling him a snob. 
I don't know. But the best gift you can get him, uh, there's a lot of gifts that you could get him, and I actually break that down a little bit in episode number 34, How to Pick Whiskey as a Gift. I talk about how to pick whiskey, and then I also talk about accessories that you can get instead of whiskey. In general, maybe glasses, if he likes cold whiskey, maybe ice molds, um, or whiskey stones, something like that. Just... I like to try to find out about their preferences before doing that because maybe you buy somebody a super cool ice mold and they hate their whiskey on ice and they don't drink cocktails. For me, I'm pretty flexible because I like cocktails. I like there's there's very few things you could buy me for whiskey that I wouldn't like. Um, I like all of it, but that episode helps break it down a little bit more. Next question, have I tried New Riff? I have tried New Riff on a couple of occasions, didn't do any in-depth review of it, just drank it for the enjoyment of it, and I remembered liking it. I thought it had a pretty good flavor to it, but I haven't gotten any more in-depth than that. The next question, have I considered setting up a way for people to donate bottles to the show? I have considered it. I have not figured it out. I don't know if there's a real good legal way to do that. Maybe there is. Um, and if you think there is, then feel free to respond to this sticker next week and let me know the, the good legal way to do that. If not, then you can always just join the Patreon if you want to support the show. And that money does help me to buy the bottles that I then use to taste on the show. So that is one way to do it. Um, I had, don't have a specific way to donate a bottle at the moment, especially given even if somebody wanted to donate money and say, hey, go buy this bottle and review it, there's no guarantee that that bottle is going to be available to me. And that's what makes it really difficult. So I'm not sure of a way at the moment. I have considered it. But the best way to support, first of all, the easiest way to support is to just leave a review. Leave a five-star rating right after you get done listening to this episode and leave a, a review with it. And that's the best way, the easiest way to support. The best way to support monetarily is the Patreon. That That's definitely does a lot of the heavy lifting for the show as of late and we're going to be talking about some of the things that the patreon has helped here very soon they're still in development in the background so next question does smoking hurt your ability to taste the notes in whiskey almost definitely smoking hurts your ability to taste everything because it coats your palate it makes it harder to taste anything other than the smoke Now, that's not to say that smoking with a glass of whiskey, like smoking a cigar, isn't delicious. It can be, and you can do a proper pairing to try to make them work together instead of against each other. But smoking in general, especially smoking cigarettes regularly, will absolutely make it harder to taste the notes in whiskey. So will spicy food. So will anything that can harm your palate in that way. If I'm doing an in-depth, important tasting, like I'm about to be doing for this barrel pick, which is probably done by the time you're listening to this episode, done being picked, I should say, I will avoid spicy foods. I will avoid anything too aggressive. Basically, eat bland until the tasting. So that's important to know. This next person asked, what's my go-to gifting whiskey? I would refer you to episode number 34 as well uh, because I walk through how to pick whiskey as a gift. But my answer to this is I don't have a go-to gifting whiskey. I almost always try to tailor it to the person. If I have any information at all about them, I try to tailor it to them. The next question is, can I recommend three Irish whiskeys? Let's just off the top of my head right now. I would say Redbreast 12-year for the most expensive, and then Limavati is right behind that, and then Bushmills Blackbush is the cheapest. And those three taste pretty super different, and so that should give you a good idea of three very different tasting Irish whiskeys. You've got some single pot still. You've got some single malt. So that'll help you kind of experience different tasting Irish whiskeys. Next question. What's the difference between a barrel pick and a store pick? Uh, a barrel pick, or I should say a store pick 
is a barrel pick that's being done by a store. So a store owner or manager is the only person who gets their hands on that barrel. Um, a barrel pick could be done by anybody. A barrel pick, when done for a specific store, is a store pick. And shameless plug, Whiskey Noob's barrel pick, if it's not out already, it's probably not out as of the airing of this episode, but it will be on its way. It's definitely been selected by the airing of this episode. So uh, keep your eyes out for that on the Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. You know where to find me. All right, moving on. Am I a peated scotch fan? I am a peated scotch fan, especially in the fall. It just reminds me of fall. How can I tell if something is worth the hype without dropping big bucks on it? Either try it at a restaurant or subscribe to one of those subscription services I talked about earlier. One of them is going to be on the show next week. Or just look up reviews of it by people such as myself. Find an influencer, maybe it's me, who you trust their opinion on things. Or maybe you trust that you always like the opposite of what I like. Whatever it is, find an influencer slash influencers that you trust or reviewers that you trust. I hate the word influencer, but I have to use it now because what else do I call myself? Um, that you trust and and get their opinion on it. And that can help you to know whether or not you should buy it. The next question, are Weller products worth the hype? Well, that depends. It depends on the Weller product, and it depends on how much hype we're talking about. I do like Weller, and episode number 69, I talk about all the Wellers that I had tasted at that point, and some of them I really like, some of them I don't, and most I wouldn't pay secondary pricing for, but I would absolutely pay Ohio pricing for. The next question, what do I think of Woodford Reserve? I like Woodford Reserve. I think it's really good in the budget-ish price range, especially depending on where you at. I think where you at, where you're at, I don't know if I just said where you at or not, but depending on where you're at, it might be expensive, it might be cheap. It's usually pretty inexpensive. And I think it is really good at delivering bourbon flavor without much frills, but really well. Not very harsh, not very difficult to drink, it's not going to bring you any super duper unique flavors, but it's going to taste good and have less harshness for the price range that it's in. That's my personal opinion. Next question. How many bottles are in your collection at this point? I don't know. I counted. I started counting the other day. I got to 100, and there's probably a couple handfuls more than that. I, I, I was like, I wanted to know if I had 100 bottles, so I counted to 100 the other day, and I do. Um, but not much more than that. So not as big as some other people, um, but I also try to finish bottles pretty consistently so they don't go bad. I, I've had bottles go bad, and it stinks. It's the worst thing in the world. It stinks literally and figuratively. Moving on to the next question, how often do I buy new bottles? Really piggybacking off that last one. I probably average about a bottle a week, I'm guessing. I'm not recommending it. I'm not saying you should. I usually defend it as I'm trying to buy things that people want reviews of. And that that bottle a week typically includes bottles being sent to me. So I'm not always buying the bottle a week. But I'd say I about average intaking a bottle a week. And sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. But I'm not saying I recommend that. I do it to do reviews. I'd probably manage a much smaller, much more targeted collection if I wasn't in the position that I am in where I'm trying to do reviews for everybody. But I also like the variety. I like being able to grab a bottle and drink it. So I don't know what I would do. But that's how often I buy them. 
Next question. Any good barbecuing recipes you would like to share? I love the uniqueness of your question, and I wish I had a good answer for it. I don't because I am very new to barbecuing. I actually just got a pellet grill last year, and I used it a couple times. I use it to basically meal prep with, like not cook actual really good tasting meals, but I want to get better at it. Don't have a ton of free time with, you know, my extracurricular being this, but I do want to get better at barbecuing, so I'm working on it. So thank you for the unique question. I hope I have a better answer next time you ask it. Next question, how do I afford all this bourbon? We're, I guess I should have paired that up with the one bottle a week thing. Um, how do I afford it? Well, I pace myself for sure. I If I notice that I'm spending too much on bourbon lately, I will easily go a few weeks without buying a bottle. And most importantly, why you should never compare yourself to an influencer, a lot of stuff gets sent to me for free. So a lot of things that I review get sent to me for free. They, they want me to try it. They want me to give them my opinion. Don't compare your collection to an influencer's collection, especially because even if I wasn't getting stuff for free, if I wasn't, I hate the word, but a quote unquote influencer, I probably wouldn't have as many bottles as I have because it's just harder to manage. Um, I would probably, like I said, manage a slightly more specific collection to things that I want. Few scotches, few bourbons, few Irish, that sort of a thing. Buy a new bottle when a bottle goes bad. But I do this so that I can review a bunch of stuff for you guys, typically. Sometimes I buy a bottle for myself, but that doesn't happen super often. So that is how I afford them. I also, a big part of it, and this is new, is the Patreon. Um, That is incredibly, outlandishly, and I can't stress this enough, super helpful. So it's been very helpful in my ability to buy bottles and my ability to work on some pretty cool things in the background that should be coming up soon. And that's all I'm going to say about that. The next question, what brands should enthusiasts be looking for now before they are hard to find? This is one of those things that if anybody could guess it, they'd be a bazillionaire. It is so random sometimes. Sometimes things that are allocated, I'm like, what? That's alloc- Like That's hard to get now? That's rare now? I don't know if anybody knows. It's a really hard thing to guess. So I right now, I really like Barrel. I think Penelope's an up-and-comer. I haven't had enough from them to really thoroughly say hey you gotta you gotta get them but i know that a lot of people like them and what i've had has been pretty good so maybe those are up and comers or maybe they're going to meet the demand with their supply that's why nobody could ever really know the next question when you finish a bottle do you grab another one right away no i do not mainly for that reason i just mentioned most of my bottles are because i do reviews on them and if i've done a review on it already I don't buy a lot of bottles for myself, so unless it's something I really, really like, like Buffalo Trace, it's a staple. I like to offer it to people, especially if they're newer. Aside from that, I don't buy a lot of bottles after they go empty until much later. The next question, what is a good whiskey cocktail for the summer? I love a gold rush. It's like probably my current favorite, new favorite whiskey for the summertime, whiskey cocktail for the summertime, because you still get a really good whiskey flavor, but it also has more to it than just like an old fashioned. I think if I drank an old fashioned in the sun, I would just bake. But a, uh, a gold rush has a little bit more. It's got some lemon to it. Give it a look up. I don't know off the top of my head, but I know that it's got honey syrup. It's got lemon and it's got whiskey. So give that a try. 
The next question, what whiskey slash bourbon goes good with lemonade? This really piggybacks off the last one. I said a gold rush, which isn't really lemonade. It's lemon juice, though. Um, with lemonade, I really enjoy Lynchburg lemonade. So that is a specific recipe with Jack Daniels in it. Uh, and it was one of the first mixed whiskey drinks that I really enjoyed. So I like Lynchburg lemonades. Um, it's very similar to a Lynchburg lemonade as a whiskey sour, um, which you can make with almost any whiskey. And then what goes good with you've just got lemonade. Um, I, if you want something very fruity and very sweet that I don't really drink anymore because it's too sweet for me. There's a whiskey called Bird Dog, and they make a peach-flavored whiskey. If you put that with lemonade, it is actually delicious, but it's going to probably make you sick to your stomach after a while because it's very sweet. Maybe do it with like a crispier, like drier lemonade, Uh, not too sweet of a lemonade. And then anytime that you're really mixing, if you're trying to do it more cocktail style, or I guess if you're trying to enjoy the whiskey, you want it to have a little bit higher proof to it. That's just a general rule for cocktails and mixed drinks. Moving on to the next question, we've got, why do people say the neck pour is different from the rest of the bottle? It's the same barrel, right? So yes, it's the, if it's a single barrel, it's the same barrel. Uh, if it's not a single barrel, then it's the same batch of whiskey. It's the same whiskey in the bottle all throughout. They're not finishing off one barrel and then filling up the rest with a different barrel. That's not what's happening. But what is happening is the whiskey in the bottle hasn't been exposed to air yet. And so some people theorize, some people think that the whiskey has to open up, has to be oxidized a little bit with some air in order to achieve its full amount of flavor. I am neither here nor there on this. I think sometimes it does help make the whiskey a little bit better, just on rare occasions I've had that happen. And sometimes it's not at all. And episode number 65 is a very in-depth look at the neck pour and also the opposite of that bottles getting too old. I took a, an in-depth look at that on episode 65. Next question. What's the difference between malted and non-malted whiskey? Is it higher proof? Actually, the proof has nothing to do with it. So malting is what you're doing to the grain before you make it into a whiskey. Malting is a process. And we talk about this actually in episode 98, I want to say with uh, Daryl McNally. Malting is a process of tricking the grain into wanting to grow and then stopping that growth. And when you trick it into wanting to grow, all these sugars and starches become available and then you can use those to ferment. Um, So that is why they malt things before they make it into a whiskey. They don't always do that. So you can have unmalted, especially in a single pot still type of Irish whiskey, you're going to have a lot of unmalted barley in there. And that just means it hasn't been through the malting process. It's going to affect your flavors a little bit. Last question. We've got, what are you looking forward to drinking on St. Patty's Day? I love this question. I had to finish with it. I, I, I'm going back and forth. I want to buy another bottle of Redbreast because, as I mentioned, I don't buy a lot of bottles for myself, and I haven't had Redbreast in a while. So I might buy a bottle of Redbreast and enjoy that on St. Patty's. If I don't, it will probably be that Powers John's Lane that we had a few episodes ago because I really enjoyed that as well. I thought that was a really good uh, whiskey. So... Maybe it'll be the powers, but maybe I'll break down and buy a red breast. Maybe I'll splurge and get myself the cask strength red breast or something like that. We'll see. I don't know. But that is all of the questions that we've got for this episode. So no need to hang around if you don't want the mystery review, but I hope you guys like the mystery reviews. I'm going to round that out right now with a couple more notes and then tell you what I'm drinking. 
overall, this whiskey is what I would consider timid. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's a little bit reserved. It has some paleness to it. It has a good amount of a sweet and honey type flavor to it. Way, way more than the last time I drank it. More sweet, more honey, maybe a little bit more fruit. Just a touch of spice. And then, this is going to give it away, so hopefully you're ready. It has this fair amount of licking and envelope Swiss cheese bitterness to it. I stand by that. And so maybe you haven't caught on yet if you haven't been listening for too long. I am drinking Green Spot Irish Whiskey. I'm pretty sure I've already done a mystery whiskey review with this. But I am so stubborn, like I just said earlier in this episode, that I'm like, i got to try it again. And here's what I'll say. This time around, way more fruitiness, way more sweetness, still way too much of the bitterness if you wanted to have that kind of balance. I think we talked about this in the main episode. It just doesn't have that balance. It goes towards those slightly bitter type flavors a little bit too much for me. But also, like we mentioned in that episode, if you like that, if you like how incredibly mellow this is, but still brings a fair amount of body, it's a lot of flavor. Those flavors are just very mellow and slightly bitter. If you like that, this is like, it's fully that. It's not burning too much. It's got a lot of body to it. It's just a very mellow body. It's not a punchy body. It's a pretty mellow body. So that's what I'll say about it. I liked it a lot more this time than I did the last time, but I still think it's just a little bit unbalanced for my personal palate, for my specific palate. I know a lot of people like Green Spot, so I don't want you guys to think I'm trashing it. That's a very subjective opinion that I have of it. But that's all that I've got for this episode of Whiskey Noobs, guys. So thank you so much for submitting your questions. Keep them coming. I'm loving all the questions. As always, they seem to be always getting better, but maybe it's just that I'm amazed that you guys are still so creative to be coming up with all these questions. That could also be the case. But keep the questions coming. I can just go on all day about these questions, so I'm always happy to answer them and join the Patreon if you want to jump to the front of the line on those questions. But that's all I've got for this episode, so I will leave you guys with learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you for listening to this episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review to help grow the show and get the word out. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. If you want to drink right along with me, make sure to join the email list by sending an email to WhiskeyNoobsPodcast at gmail.com with a subject line saying email list. You will receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time and drink right along with the show. Once again, thanks for listening to this episode. The Whiskey Noobs podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.